0: 20 WGN. Hey there, it's Amy Guth here on the Wintress Business Lunch. A little retro jam for you. I haven't listened to Hall and Oates in a hot minute. Good one, right there, esteemed producer Cash. I like it. All right, lots to do today on the Trust Business Lunch. Lots of things to cover. A little bit later, we're going to be talking about AirBnB because that is a thing happening right now in Chicago. A little bit of shift there. A little bit of news for you. So we're going to be talking about that for AirBnB users, particularly hosts in Chicago. And we're going to be talking with Ron Lieber, the Your Money columnist at. New York Times, because it's always a very interesting intersection between the stock market behavior and politics. So we're going to be taking a look at that. But before we do all that, we are talking with Elizabeth Dwoskin, who is Washington Post's Silicon Valley correspondent, who recently wrote a really interesting piece about Facebook's willingness to copy rival apps. It's being viewed as kind of hurting innovation and, and their willingness to copy technology and design from other apps and platforms. And she wrote a really in-depth, really interesting piece on Washington Post. You can find WashingtonPost.com. Elizabeth, welcome to the program. Thanks for being with us today.
1: Thanks for having
0: me back. Well, always, always a pleasure, for sure. So this is a really interesting piece, and and it's a good long read that I really, really enjoyed, and there's a lot of kind of sub-beats in it, but generally, kind of uh, give us the overview here of what Facebook is doing right now that perhaps is hindering a little bit of their innovation.
1: Sure. Well, let me give you the high, high high-level overview, which is, and I know this is something you talk about on the show, which is... We're in this era in which tech giants are consolidating power. They essentially control the channel, many of the channels for which we socialize, we communicate, we express ourselves, and we shop. Facebook especially now has 2 billion people logging on monthly. That's a third of the world's population. And I can't imagine any other business besides Google or any other government for that matter having that kind of scale. So the story that I look at is kind of we're looking at this time in which people are asking: Are these tech giants becoming monopolies? Are they becoming too powerful? And what are the effects of that on the economy, on consumers, and on businesses, and on the startup ecosystem that you know makes has I made mean, Silicon Valley great? So, if you look at the history of copying, I think it's just a fascinating question, which is: When is copying okay? And when is copying stealing ideas? And when is it Okay, legally, but not okay for innovation. Uh, Facebook was not the first social network, as you know. Um, they, there was MySpace before, so in a way, they were a copycat from day one. But what's happened is that in the last year and a half, they have really revved up on copying features from other apps or other apps wholesale. And so, actually, if you open the Facebook app today, I think it's interesting because if you're aware. You can almost see it's like a haunted house, and you're walking through the ghosts of other
0: businesses. Indeed, yeah. And so, is that move? Is that really about? Um, I mean, it certainly seems like it would be about about power. And I know it's such a threat to so many startups and and so many other players in that space uh, get kind of swallowed by Facebook so often. Is it about just that? Is it just about that monopoly? Is it some, about something bigger? Well, I mean, I think that I
1: think bigger idea is how does innovation happen? So remember, I do not probably remember this a few years ago, just a few years ago, remember there was this explosion of dating apps, um, political apps, um, gaming apps, and all of those apps rode on the back of Facebook. And what I mean by that is that literally when you logged into those apps, you could log in through Facebook, and then they would... Get new users by seeing who your friend list was. Remember that when you used to log into an app and it would say, does it give Facebook access to your friends? Well, the reason the app wanted that is because then these all these little businesses that were coming out in this tech room could say, okay, we'll just ride on the back of Facebook's network, called the network effect. But what happened about two years ago is that Facebook said, oh, my God, we're going to we're going to really curtail this access. We're going to change. And so companies, hundreds of companies were affected by that, and they just totally went out of business quietly. Um, So, you know, many companies just live and die by Facebook's network. And what's happened in these two years is that they cut off access to all these apps, and at the same time, they started to grow into new areas. So we don't want to just be a social network. We want to now be, and this has all happened in the last 18 months, we want to be a food delivery platform. You can actually get food delivery like Grubhub on Facebook. We want to be a political fundraising tool like Kickstarter. Or go find There's a tab for that on Facebook as of the last few months. We want to maybe do a standalone video app, video chat app, like House Party, which is a popular app. They're reportedly building that. So what happened is that at the same time as they cut off access to other businesses to let those businesses grow, at which time when businesses were loving Facebook, because they were saying, wow, you know, we wouldn't have existed without them. Now, if you build something in Silicon Valley, there's this concern that you're just going to be copied by Facebook, and so maybe it's not worth it. So one of the most interesting things is I talked to like a dozen venture capitalists or the people who fund all these startups, um, people even who funded Facebook, who funded Google, who funded Airbnb, and they would say, well, today we're just not going to put money into any business that Facebook might copy. And increasingly, that's just a growing number of ideas because there's less light space as Facebook forays into new areas. So the metaphor I think about it is, you think about Facebook as the town square where you go to gossip and share stories, today it wants to be a town square almost in the traditional sense. It was the place where you did your shopping. They have a Craigslist competitor now where you can actually buy and sell furniture on Facebook. Um, It wants to be the place where you send money. It wants to be the place where you get your food. So it wants to be the place where you talk about, how, where you share and raise money for politics. So it's like this bigger, all-encompassing town square. And one of the questions is, I think, not all these initiatives are going are to work, but I think it's a question of, one, what happens to innovation when it becomes no longer worth building a new idea because Facebook has gotten so big and powerful? And then also as consumers, do we want to just have this growing number of our activities in one place?
0: Right, definitely. by one giant company. Right. I was sitting there thinking that as you were describing all this and going, yeah, you're right. It does does use this and this and this kind of tool, and it does offer this and this and this. And it does seem like there will be this really interesting backlash economically in Silicon Valley, as as you're describing these investors that are less inclined to invest in something that will likely be, uh, you know, gobbled up by Facebook or copied by Facebook, which is a very interesting kind of moment to be in in Silicon Valley because you know we we count on all this innovation from there and if it's if it shifts into a a, a fear driven place it, it will be a very very different one so lots of really interesting questions raised in your piece everybody i'm going to tweet this piece out so i highly recommend you sit down and give it a read it's thank at washington you. post very very fa- very very just very fascinating work from elizabeth duasken the washington post silicon valley correspondent thank you so much for being with us we'll see you back on the program soon i'm sure Thanks, Amy. I appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks for well. Have a great one. All right. We're going to take a little break. and we come back, we are talking with Ali Maradi, business reporter at Chicago Tribune, about Airbnb registrations right here in Chicago. A little bit of an update for you on that.
2: 720
0: WGN. Same Amy you here on the Win Trust Business Lunch. Thanks for being with us today. Shout out to you, Producer Cash, because you are playing all the good retro songs today for bump music. I'm loving that safety dance. Good times right there. All right, lots to do still on the program, lots of things to discuss. <clears throat> Up next, we are talking with Ali Moradi. She is a business reporter at Chicago Tribune and regular guest here on this show. She wrote very recently about the city's plan to issue Airbnb registrations very late and uh, how that's impacting airbnb users here in chicago ali welcome to the program always nice Mm -hmm. to have you on yeah thanks for having me amy so so talk us through what's going on with airbnb right now because we've talked about this many times on the show as it kind of took a few twists and turns in the last i'd say year or so Uh, but what is the latest right now especially for airbnb hosts
2: yeah sure thing so just to catch everyone up they passed the city passed the law last summer Um, Part of it went into effect in December, and that's when it was supposed to go fully into effect. And the law regulates, um, you know, Airbnb hosts and all shared housing, you know, um, platform hosts. And there were two lawsuits that delayed it until March. So then in March it went into full effect, and it's been about five months. And the city is just now issuing these registration numbers for hosts. So one of the rules in the ordinance is that if you're going to host a unit on Airbnb or one of these other platforms you have to get your unit registered with the city. So, um, you know, behind the scenes, the city was working to get this going. You know, they had to partner with a third-party company to build a system to do this, and then they had to license Airbnb, you know, as a platform um, with the city. And then they got all the data from Airbnb, and then they had to process all that. And so now they're finally able to roll out these registration numbers to hosts. Um, which is great. And they they said that they're going to roll out about 4,000 of the approvals. Um, and then they'll issue also pending denials, which hosts can then go in and um, appeal. Um, but in the meantime, you know, in this five-month period from when the month passed, or from when the law went into effect until now, Airbnb hosts have kind of been panicking a little bit because they hadn't heard anything from the city about this. They hadn't heard anything from Airbnb. And they're wondering if you know, they're gonna get fined for operating without these registration numbers and they've done everything they need to do. Um, so there was a lot of concern there and I think they're probably pretty relieved now to have finally gotten, you know, at least the ones that did get their registration numbers to have finally gotten those.
0: Right, and so how many, do you have a sense anyway of how many Airbnb hosts are in Chicago right now?
2: Yeah, so um, the way the, the ordinance rolled out um, Airbnb made it pretty easy for their hosts to comply. It was kind of to go on, check a box, that sort of thing. Um, so hosts had to do that by May 1st. And then if you hadn't done that as a host, you got kicked off the platform. Um, so Airbnb hasn't released numbers since that May 1st deadline. Before May 1st, there were about 6,500 hosts in the Chicago land area or I think possibly just in the city, Um, there's a third-party company that tracks that. And last time I checked, which was about a week ago, they said that there were about in the 5,000 range of Airbnb hosts. So um, as I mentioned before, the city said that they've issued about 4,000 of these um, registration numbers. There are hundreds more pending. And then they've also got, you know, several hundred at least that have incomplete information that they still need to work through. So I think we'll be seeing, you know, those numbers kind of evening out and, you know, solidifying as time passes and the city can kind of process this data and get everything up to snuff.
0: Right. And what is the biggest thing that people need to be mindful of uh, that might be different now if you are an Airbnb host?
2: Um, I think the main thing is just making sure that you're not in – one of the prohibited buildings so that was one of the parts of the ordinance that rolled out and w- was was pretty contentious um because everything else for the host who's just running out one room and you know in their unit or whatever it's pretty easy to comply you know just make sure that you've checked that box in airbnb and that means airbnb can kind of share your data with the city that sort of thing um but there's a prohibited buildings list that the city pushed for and there are some rules around that, like there can't be you know, more than six units being rented out in the building, that sort of thing. And that is where the city has said that they're going to start looking to enforce you know first and foremost. And then the other thing would be if you're a host and you're not using Airbnb's platform or you're using Airbnb's platform in addition to another platform, since Airbnb is the only um, platform that has been licensed with the city, there are other platforms as well, such as Home Away, um, VRVO, et cetera. That have not been licensed yet. Now the city is working with some of these. Home Away is one of them, but there are a few others that they've mentioned that they said have not come forward at all um, to start that process. And the city has said that those are those hosts that are on those platforms that haven't been licensed yet are the ones they're going to kind of start enforcing with first. So if you have your your unit listed on Airbnb and another website, make sure that you're checking that that other that other platform you Know is doing its due diligence with the city because the fines that these hosts are facing um, they can range anywhere between fifteen hundred to three thousand dollars per day.
0: Oh, that's that's significant. That was my very next question is what happens if you if you uh, mess this up or don't comply? And that is the answer right. a pretty hefty fine. And that's do you say that's per day?
2: Yeah, that's that can be per day. Yeah, and and once you do, if you are a host and you do receive you know, your registration number, make sure you get it up on your Airbnb, you know, profile as quickly as possible, because they'll start looking at that, too.
0: All very good things to know. Thank you so much for being with us. Ali Moradi, business reporter at Chicago Tribune. Thank you for joining us and taking time out of your Saturday to uh, tell us all about what's going on with Airbnb. Sure thing. Thanks. Thanks so much. <laughs> WGN. Hey there, it's Amy Goose here on the Wintrust Business Lunch. Thanks for being with us today. I appreciate you for sharing part of your Saturday with me. Again, with the good the good retro jams on that one, Producer Cash. You're so good at that. Weekend song. I know, right? During the week, it's all serious, buttoned-up news music. <laughs> it's all fun. It's good. Well, here in a bit, we are going to be talking with uh, Your Money columnist Ron Lieber from the New York Times. We're just going to track him down by phone, and then we're going to chat with him about, because uh, it's an interesting time, right? With when, Anytime you have really, uh, let's say, ghastly and upsetting and stressful headlines, politically, we tend to see that reflected in the stock market. Sometimes people make really emotional decisions. So we're going to be chatting about that here in just a bit. Bob Kessler, how are you? How's I'm doing great. Thank you. Lovely What's new day in Chicago. It's beautiful outside.
3: What's new? and It's too much to, let's see. I'm kind of spending a staycation out in the burbs with my little nephew. So they nice. are into the big wheels. Nice. They can do all kinds of cool stuff. We did a little obstacle course. Good. I'm too big for the big wheel. I've <laughs> learned the hard way.
0: <laughs> nice, nice. Well, so last week on the program we were talking about a, a a thing I thought a thing that I was about to do that I thought might be totally crazy, if you will recall.
3: I do remember this and it You happened. did it, didn't you?
0: I did it. And Skydive. it was the coolest thing. Yes. I went skydiving with the US Army Golden Knights. I cannot shut up about it because it was so fun. It was the coolest thing I've ever done. I think there are life lessons in that process because it really only I would say going up is much harder than going down. <laughs> much, much like Life
3: lesson number one. Life lesson okay. much
0: like the build up is harder. And then all you gotta do is just, you know, relax. But really, here's what it took. It took um the the moment that I was that I was actually nervous, for the most part I was like, I'm just ready to go. Let's go. Let's do it. Going up in the plane, I was like, okay, that's way down there. And then I was told that we weren't even at halfway yet. And I'm like, okay, that's that's way down there.
3: <laughs> can we jump here? I'm high enough. <laughs> right,
0: I'm good. We can just okay. Um and they told me that at about five thousand feet. So I jumped between two point five and three miles up. Um that's high enough up that you can see the curve of the earth which was really beautiful and stunning. And the only part that was, I I don't even want to say it was hard. It was, uh, it asked me to call upon my inner reserves. And that was, I, you know, you stand up and you walk to the door. That was the only hard part. That was eight seconds. And then the payoff was unbelievable to leap out of the plane because it's very loud. And the minute you leap out, it's, it's silent and beautiful. And you're just kind of falling and it's lovely. But I feel like there's a life lesson in that, right? That, you know, sometimes it only takes like, Eight seconds of unbelievable courage or something or, or tuning yourself out or talking, you know, talking, talking yourself through something. Willpower? Yeah. Yeah, Just willpower.
3: Fortitude.
0: Fortitude is a good word. That takes the feelings out of it a little bit, which, which I think is necessary because it wasn't about feelings. It was about, I can, I can do this. I'm doing this. I need to figure this out. So it was really, the only thing I actually had to do was stand up and walk to the edge of the, of the aircraft. And it was so cool. It was the coolest thing. And then I woke up <laughs> well actually, I landed and I think one of the first things I said was, I feel like I can do anything now which only got worse as it's gone as the week has gone on. So I'm like I've been making jokes about it. like I can flip over a bus. I'm good. <laughs> So, but there is there's something kind of weird and cool happened to my brain. And I was talking with Dr. John Duffy, who's a regular contributor to the station. I was telling him about the experience because the next morning I woke up and I could not remember anything I had ever been afraid of. Isn't that cool and weird? That's
3: very cool. And all you had to do was jump out of an airplane.
0: I know. Dr. Duffy was like, can you maybe not tell people that? Because that's like 20 years of therapy that you accomplished in like 20 minutes. In five seconds. <laughs> so it's it's... Um, it took about 15 minutes to get up there, and then you jump, and uh, then I was in free fall about 55 seconds, and then I think you can get to the ground. Um, you can get to the ground a little bit faster, but um, uh, the person to whom I was tethered, that was Sergeant uh, Sergeant First Class Noah Watts, who was very cool. Shout out to him! Super cool. Go super cool guy. Very nice. Very funny. Kept me like laughing and kept it, kept it upbeat on the way up there. Um, but he said, Hey, do you want to learn how to steer the parachute? And I thought, well, you seem to be doing a fine job. And he was like, well, when else are you going to do this? I said, well, that's a good point. Give me that. So we were kind of twirling around up there in the air for a little bit. So it probably took six or seven minutes to get on the ground. But last week we had a few callers who were calling and just saying, just go for it. Don't think just do. And I, Shout out to everyone who called. And
3: nobody said, no, don't do it.
0: Nobody said, don't You'll do it. You'll hate it. Unlike the polar plunge, when I, a few years ago, when a bunch of people from WGN did the polar plunge, we were talking about that on the air, and a bunch of people called and said, don't do that. That's terrible, and I did it anyway.
3: <laughs> was it terrible?
0: No. I mean, it was very cold, and it took me hours to feel my limbs, but it was fine. And it was for a good cause, so whatever. <laughs> uh, but this, I recommend, I recommend skydiving. Let's all
3: go skydiving.
0: I would do it again. I've never done it. I think that kinda of surprises me, Bob, because I, I think this was this seems up your alley. Okay. This seems like a thing that you would That's do. That's
3: what people were saying about you.
0: I know. So. And now I get it. Now I see what they're saying. And it was very Is
3: that sergeant's number, I'll call him.
0: Right, let's just call him up. Like we have an in at the army now.
3: <laughs> and did you get GoPro?
0: Yeah, I, I didn't end up wearing it, but some um, someone jumped with me and was facing me most of the time, and he had a GoPro and a still camera uh, running the whole time. So there's a really cool video up at wgenradio.com of the whole thing. They kind of interview me before, they interview me up in the air, and then right after. They, they show the landing. And they they show me because he when you're landing, he's like, grab your pull your knees up to your chest and then straighten out your legs. When I say and you can see me, I'm sitting up so straight because I want to get that right. And uh, we just kind of come to a stop. It was very smooth. It was a very soft landing. And I jump right up and I just start like yelling and clapping. I was so excited. It was really fun. I was ready to go right back up. It was the coolest thing. I endorse this. So
3: you're going to be doing this again. No, you'll never... It won't be the same.
0: No, and that's why... I, you know, thing. that's what I told a friend of mine. that I said, you know, it's not... Um, I would certainly do it again, but I would... I don't I also don't feel like I need to because that was so perfect. I mean I was with the Army Golden Knights that's so cool. In fact I'm going to be talking about tonight's show it's from 7 to 9 on the Saturday night special is about adrenaline obviously inspired by that and we're going to be talking about this stuff a little bit because I think it was it was interesting and there was a lot of cool things that my brain did that I wasn't expecting like the the fear thing like it's it's like that piece of my brain was erased I can't wait for that to never come back. <laughs>
3: I'm excited about it. And so that. far it hasn't. It's been no. three, four, five days. Okay.
0: Well, I talked to my, my friend, Laura, who I give a shout out to her in the video. Um, she is the person, she she writes a website called myfatherslist.com. And it's it's all about, she found her father's bucket list um, after he died. And he had only crossed a few things off of it. And so she's finishing it. And one of the things on there was skydive more than once. And so she did this. And, sh- and it was a while ago, a few months ago. And she said, that feeling hasn't gone away. She still feels that way that she's like, I can do, I can do anything so who knows what crazy stunt that will like crazy trouble that will land me in <laughs> but um it was definitely it was a cool feeling i mean I, I really i felt very very happy and up and upbeat since the since the whole thing cause it was just cool and i keep i've i've gone back and looked at the video a couple of times and just gone i can't believe that happened that's so Cool. Yeah, I would do that too. <laughs> it's so cool
3: Was there a group of people you all did it, so you can all check in with each other and well, have your there, skydive pals or there were a couple
0: of different people from around the Midwest who were invited to do it, um but we all went separately, so there were we went three at a time in the plane, but you're so there's so much to do that you 're really only talking to your photographer and the person that you're being tethered to um there's a lot of training and a lot of stuff there. So I didn't really get to talk to the other people. And then you go out by weight, heaviest first. And um being a dainty little slip of a woman that I am, I went last. <laughs> and uh, um so I, I kind of got to see... The first person I saw go out, he was ready. And he was just like, let's do it. And it seemed like he just jumped up and ran out the door. And then the second person, you could tell he kind of hesitated a minute. Um And the person... um that he was attached to she was like here we're going and she just sort of went and then for me he he just was like ready he, he put his hand under my chin and and pointed my chin up he was like don't start by looking down start by looking out and also he didn't want my head to like whip back and then, and then we were out the door it was just kind of like a one and go it wasn't a one two three and it was out and it was beautiful the second I was out the door it was the coolest feeling
3: and it, I would expect it to be kind of whooshing air but you're saying it wasn't
0: it's no, quiet. I mean, it's windy, but it's it's silence up there. And um, you don't have a – this was the coolest, weirdest thing that I did not expect. You do not have a sensation of falling at all, even though you're falling at 125 miles an hour. You don't feel like you're falling. You feel yeah, well,
3: nothing. You're not moving past anything you can see.
0: Right. right. Even yeah. even looking at the ground, your brain is not saying, that's I'm falling towards it. You feel like you're flying. Cause it feels like wind coming at you and you're just so far up there. I mean, I, I looked down and then I looked up and I was like, Oh, look, that's the curve of the earth. This is very cool. But it also was occurring to me like, Oh, I feel like I want to fly that direction. <laughs> I really feel like I was flying. It was, I have, I can't even explain that, but it was a cool feeling. Um. And so then when the parachute opens, you feel like you're shot up in the air because suddenly you're, you know, the de-acceleration there. You feel like you're just shooting way, way up all of a sudden. Um, and then once the parachute opens, it's very quiet. I mean, I even took the goggles off. He said, yeah, take the goggles off, look around. I said, are you sure I'm wearing contacts right now? He goes, oh no, there's no wind. There's nothing. And sure enough, I took them off and it was just, it was just like standing on a balcony. It was just very still and quiet and the air smells so good and fresh up there. And it was just lovely. I can't say enough about it. Um, in the last uh, edition of Guth and Hupke on Politics, Rex Hupke was like, You're gonna be insufferable now. I said, I know, I am. <laughs> I'm gonna be totally insufferable. <laughs> I already am.
3: You're a born again skydiver.
0: I know. I think I, I I think I I was like making little video logs along the way and um I said I was sitting there watching other people land and kind of high fiving them after they landed and and I said I, I felt like um not only did I feel like I could do anything, but I just felt like I left I don't think I'm a very fear, fearful person anyway, but whatever's left, whatever fear I do have, I feel like I left it
3: three, you purged it.
0: three miles up in the air. yeah, I so really... Now
3: you got to do one of those jumpsuits you see people they are like a flying squirrel.
0: That's what the photographer had on. He kind of had something like that, so he was sort of flying around and doing some kind of spins, which was cool. I know. Everybody's going like, what are you going to do now? So I think shark cage is the next obvious thing. <laughs> I don't know. What do you do after this?
3: I think shark cage could be on it, yeah. Maybe something involving a volcano.
0: Yeah. Cool. Okay. Let's do that. Sure. I'm not sure what. <laughs> I would do a shark cage. I think sharks are beautiful and interesting. I I love sharks. So I would do. I would totally do a shark cage. Anyway. <laughs> Don't worry, I wouldn't do that to you. I would not play ice, ice Baby. <laughs> 720 WGN. Hey there, it's Amy Guth on the WinTrust Business Lunch. We're talking about all kinds of stuff. Right before the break, we were talking about uh, earlier this week, I went skydiving. We were talking about it last week on the show, and a lot of callers called with great advice for me, which I followed, and it was wonderful and fun. And, you know, one thing leading up to it, a friend of mine made a playlist for me, And he's never gone skydiving, so he was kind of guessing. But it was really good, and it helped me kind of get pumped up on the way to the place. And and I kind of focused and I was even thinking about the playlist kind of right before I went to keep myself focused and all that. But there is a really interesting, because a lot of people do that, right? Like runners have certain songs. I know when I'm writing, there's certain songs I'll write to. There's my deadline song. And that means just sit down and focus and write. And I've trained my brain to work on that. And that is a Depeche Mode song. When that song is on, I feel like writing right then. So a lot of people do that. A lot of people use music for stuff. If you do that, give me a call, 312-981-7200. Tell me what that song is, your go-to song. There is a, there is a, a piece out there on uh, thehustle.com that is all about what surgeons listen to on the job, which I think is an interesting group. We don't think about it a lot. We think about athletes listening to like a pregame song or your at-bat music or something like that. But, uh, indeed, surgeons have their kind of at-bat music, too. And according to um, Spotify, so they teamed up with... Uh, the healthcare app Figure One. They surveyed 700 medical professionals about their music listening habits and found out about 90% of surgeons listen to music in the operating room, which is kind of cool.
3: When did when did that kick in? My dad is retired. He was a surgeon, and as far as I know, he never listened to music.
0: Uh, you know what this in the survey does not have a date on it. Yeah, but I'm assuming it seems like it was it's very recently surveyed.
3: But he had colleagues who did, and he didn't like it. I remember that.
0: So. See, uh, my thing would be if I'm on the operating table, I, w- I feel like I need to collaborate with the surgeon on the playlist, even though I'm going to be out, and I, don't, I won't know the difference. <laughs> you know what I, mean? I feel like just in case, I feel like somewhere my brain is going to be hearing that, even if I'm not conscious, and I don't want, like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't want Nickelback playing while, like, I'm having heart surgery or something. You know yeah, that'd saying? just be wrong. Right. You
3: heal all wrong, and it's just these it wrong was, vibes.
0: It's not healing, healthful vibes. It's no. not like, heck yeah, you're going to come out of this better. It's That's not the vibe that you would get from Wasn't that,
3: that movie song. Trainwreck where the guy would listen to Uptown Girl? <laughs>
0: <laughs> right. So um, I as I'm looking at this list, there's a couple of surprises on there. Um, some of them I think are kind of fun, and I love the idea of thinking of someone in OR scrubs listening to uh, one of the songs on this. Here's the top ten. Um, Rock You Like a Hurricane by Scorpions. I love the idea of someone in OR Scrubs listening to the Scorpions. I think that sounds pretty fun. Uh, Sweet Child of Mine by Guns N' Roses. <laughs> Just What the Doctor Order by Ted Nugent. <laughs> I- if that would make my or playlist uh break on through to the other side by the doors paint it black by the rolling stones that's a fine song whole lot of love led zeppelin another fine song we will rock you by queen i like that song i think the only problem with that is people tend to start doing things in rhythm to that song like Stomp people on their
3: feet yeah stomping their
0: feet and kind of drumming on stuff or bobbing their heads and i feel like i don't need you to be cracking open my chest or suturing me up or whatever (laughs) into into the tune of that. I just need you to focus with steady hands. Um, So there's that one. Then um, Back in Black by ACDC. The Wind Cries Mary by Jimi Hendrix. And this is the one that I find most surprising. That on this list of the most popular songs that surgeons listen to in the operating room, Cocaine by Eric Clapton. I don't know about that one. That seems like a controversial choice to me a little bit.
3: I think it's just the groove. Because J.J. Cale J. did a version of it, he wrote it. That one didn't make it, so it's a. Clapton had a bigger hit, so that's why he more people know hit. about it. But, but I think a, it's the groove of the song a, that makes you it, it makes is. it work.
0: There I mean, you it's, go. A, it's a chill song. Yeah, but it's also, you know, <laughs> these it's are about all just cocaine. white classic <laughs> rockers. Does <laughs> I know, anyone I not say,
3: listen to Funkadelic in the in the O.R.? What's going on? Right?
0: Nobody, right? You're right. It is all white classic rock up in there, except for Jimi Hendrix. Not so much on that one, right? But, yeah, I feel like I need some, uh, I think I need, like, a better beat on my playlist because that pumps you up and gets you, you know, happening and, you know, going and optimistic. I think that's key. That's what... I
3: think so. I've never done any surgery, so I don't know what the <laughs> mindset mean... needs to be, but I would think it would, those songs that you just listed would not be the ones I would guess. No. But what
0: would be your at-bat music, if you were? Mine
3: would be, you yeah, know, be. it'd be something like... Oh, you know, I really like that song, Heavy Duty Judy by yeah. Frank Zappa.
0: Yeah, that's a great song. <laughs> <laughs> it just,
3: I like, it's got a cool guitar solo.
0: Does anybody in MLB have Frank Zappa as their at-bat? I doubt it. Probably not. That's no. going to be a question for the, the guys on the game a little bit later. Right.
3: I doubt that very
0: much. <laughs> Indeed. We have a caller. Elise, hi. So a surgeon played
4: music while you were having surgery. What did they play? Uh, he was playing Motown music. He has uh, cataract surgery two weeks apart for each eye. Oh, wow. So I was nerv- I was very nervous on the first one, and I went in, and he's playing Motown music, and I thought, this was great, because you're awake when they do this. Yeah. And then when I went in two weeks later, he wasn't playing any music. Oh, man. And when I saw him the next day, I said to him, I said, what happened to the music yesterday? He goes, I didn't even realize it wasn't on. Oh. I said it really relaxed me the first time, and this time it was a little more tense, yeah, but it really made it it made me much more comfortable, and it was Motown, which I liked, so it was great.
0: Yeah, that's a good call. I think Motown, like people tend to sing along with Motown. A lot of people I think most people like Motown. I, I don't know anybody that yeah, it was fun. Yeah, I bet. That would that would relax me too. I think I would have said something though. I think I would have said, Hey, what happened to that Motown? Put that back on
4: <laughs> right? Well, you know what? Once they start, you can't talk unless they talk to you. Oh, really? So you know, I expected the music to be going and I couldn't say anything because he was already starting on my eyes.
0: Oh, interesting. So how how are your eyes now?
4: They are great. Yes, I spent some money for having torque lenses put in, so I have monovision. I have one for distance and one for close, and I don't need glasses anymore.
0: Wow. So that's worth doing.
4: Yes, it's very exciting.
0: Cool. Well, congratulations on that. And so now when when you hear Motown, do you think about that experience and think?
4: Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely, and it becomes very calming, yes.
0: How how cool! I think that's interesting how our brains remember songs and things like that, and and we have such strong connections to certain experiences with songs.
4: That's very Absolutely. cool. Absolutely, it, it really calmed me down because everyone told me, "Oh, this isn't the surgery is no big deal, whatever." Until you go through it yourself, yeah, you can't say that, right? And it really did keep me calm while um, he was doing the the first one.
0: I bet. I'm sure. I know. I can't stand when people do that. They'll go, you'll be fine. You're like, you don't know, and it's my eyeballs.
4: No. Absolutely. Thanks for
0: taking my call. Thank you so much for calling. All right. Bye. All right. Bye-bye. All right. So see, that. lots of people use music for stuff. I think that's very cool. I, I love that she has this positive association now with Motown. That's very fun.